Welcome to the SPS Digital Learning Hour. Brought to you by the Digital Learning and Assessment Department. Thanks for joining us today. I'm your host, Mike Thomas. And I'm Suzanne Zargis. We're coming to you from a conference room in Central Office, bringing you the latest news in the Springfield Public Schools in regards to technology, along with inspiring interviews from teachers who are using technology in the classroom. We'll also inform you of the latest updates, practices, and news as it pertains to our district. Whether you are new to using technology in the classroom or are a seasoned vet, we are here to help. Thanks for joining us today. In case you missed it, we have training videos up the wazoo out on Microsoft Stream. I continually add to them. In fact, I know that there is a bunch of new MCAS videos that I didn't make, but they have been also added. So if you're looking, if you're a testing coordinator, if you're looking at how to do something, I would suggest going and checking out these videos. They're all on Microsoft Stream, which you can get through Office 365. In case you missed it, we're now in infrastructure trial season for MCAS 2.0. If you're a test coordinator or principal looking for guides or videos for assistance with the infrastructure trials, please visit the MCAS 2.0-17-18 course where you'll find all the resources both from the state and from Springfield Public Schools to help assist you with this process. In case you missed it, We Learn Wednesdays is starting up in March. The first Wednesday in March, March 7th, or it might be the second, I'm not sure, I'm not looking at a calendar right now. But either way, March 7th is the first of three We Learn Wednesdays. And we'll take you through technology tools taught to you by teachers within the district. So if you wanna come and learn about some new tools, get some PDP points, get some things to go towards seeds, then this time is right for you. Go out to My Learning Plan to sign up. That's it for In Case You Missed It. Coming up next, Hot Takes. Thanks for joining us today. This is part one in a series on talking about reading online and reading on the computer. And so throughout this discussion, we're going to talk about some of the pitfalls that you may run into, some of the solutions that we have heard and read about from not just articles, but the people in this district. So this conversation will go over the next couple of weeks. And please, if you have any comments or questions after you hear something, let us know by leaving a comment on Yammer and that we can either respond to there or we can include in our next podcast. So for this week's hot takes, Suzanne, you kind of brought an interesting article to start with that I kind of helped add on to. Do you want to go ahead and start with discussing that? Certainly. Uh, well, as our listeners probably know, I'm a little bit older than you and Brendan, Mike. So with, uh, with age comes a lot of reflection. And um, I, I love having this job at this particular time and just watching how education is changing the more and more we use technology but I can't help but constantly think about the challenges that our teachers face and what probably a lot of them are thinking when it comes to how students need to change some of their habits from just reading text in print to reading text online. And uh, change is not easy for a lot of people. So I 
I'm assuming there are some teachers out there who are digging their feet in and thinking, you know, I, I really just like the print. My students are, are much more productive when they're reading in print. Uh, but I found this article that had some tips for teachers to help their students' comprehension when reading online. So I thought I would share it and we would have a great discussion about it. Yeah, so that the article, the CNN article that you sent, um, which was a discussion from back in October about the difference between print and digital. I don't know, I found it very interesting, some of the results that they had. It made me wonder the size of their study, though. Because I think with statistics, like anything over 30 people, if I remember correctly, and those math geeks out there can correct me if I'm wrong, that's when they start to say it's a viable study if it's more than X number. And so like, is this one school? Like, I didn't really get an understanding of like where like they got their numbers from. Right. They definitely did not state that in that particular article, uh, but they did say that um, the source was a collaboration between journalists and academics. And it's solely their opinion that was stated in that particular article. So I tend to agree that it, it probably wasn't a large study. But what I found interesting was in the additional articles that, that you found, the same outcome uh, came about in that students' comprehension was better on print than online unless they were specifically taught how to read online. Exactly. Yes. And I found the same kind of context when I was reading through Michael's additional articles. Of course, when I read the CNN article, I, I kind of had the same thought process as Mike in terms of well, who are these students in terms of demographics, age, so on and so forth. But nevertheless, the theme remains the same in terms of the transition from print to online media and reading. So while we could, you know, question the, the size of the study, the the main point is a trend that we all notice in education regardless. Uh, and I found the results, especially in the in the additional articles, where we see that, you know, there's a very few number of students who are reading online at the elementary level to kind of back up what the CNN article uh, told us. I think one of the interesting things, though, is when they were, like, trying to put everything, like, and I think they called it their perspective, what they were finding is that students enjoyed reading on the computers more than they did the print books. They also found that the students read faster, which when you're thinking about right now, MCAS is not timed, but who knows that could change in the future. And so students need to be able to read and process at a faster speed. But right now, without some of the skills for reading online, they can read fast but it doesn't mean that they're understanding what they're reading. I see you nodding your exactly. head. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely in that they, they may be reading faster, but maybe the reason that they are reading faster is because they're not utilizing all the strategies that they've been taught when they read on paper. So um, that's the key, I think, for teachers to take away is to apply the same strategies when they're having their students read online and to also um, expose them to digital texts from pre-K and K all the way through. I loved the example of the teacher who would go back and forth between reading her students a printed book and reading something that was online. 
I think some of the most fascinating takeaways that I got from these articles and reading about the parallels between online and written text reading is is the is the theories that how we should introduce this these forms of reading to our students, right? So I think Suzanne, you mentioned the importance of of teaching students the differences and having them learn at the same rate of pace. Uh, from an early from an early age, and I couldn't agree more. In reading the articles, I got a great quote, and I couldn't agree more uh, from Bridget Dalton, who I who I mentioned earlier, that we don't want to wait until they're proficient at one to do the other. It's a simultaneous development, and I couldn't agree more. Right. So and the reason I say that is because they're different. Obviously, as we know, online and paper based, one's linear, one's nonlinear. It's it's important. To, to transition these kids, or transition students, excuse me, into being comfortable with both facets of reading. Exactly. You know, it's, um, people have in their minds what teaching reading looks like, but today we need to teach kids, as one person uh, said in the article, to read the world. They're not, when you're reading, when you're learning to read, you're not just reading paper. You're reading... Well, a lot of online text. Obviously, right? Because, you know, as I was saying, online reading isn't linear, right? You can click on hyperlinks. You can, you're going to see pop-ups and it's important for teachers to, to message that and to explain to students from an early age group how to use censorship online, how to use privacy. It's more than just about reading, but you, you make a great point that teachers and uh, you know I was a student to looking to become a teacher at one point um, teachers aren't taught that in college so it's it's hard when you transition from what you know as an educator which is teaching students to read by using text which has been the way it's been taught forever right to now we're using this we're in this new age of digital learning and I think it, it really the whole system has to catch up not just from the school level, but how we're developing teachers to prepare students for this contrast. Right. There's so much that, that goes into it. And think of how distracted young children are to begin with without being online with all the pop-up ads or extra hyperlinks that they have to maneuver in a reading. So a teacher needs to guide them through that process. They do, and they need to think outside the box. Uh, one of the articles brought up a, a teacher who's using wiki pages to ensure that students aren't, you know, veering off and navigating into unknown places of the internet to be distracted. And maybe I should have wiki pages set up for myself <laughs> so I don't end up on, you know, whatever site reading news articles. You know, it, so you, you can see how teachers are getting creative uh, as they adjust. But there's also, and understandably. Uh, a group of educators who may be kind of not set in their ways, I guess you could say, but maybe hesitant to this online trend of learning. So it, it really is, it's fascinating to see, and especially as it plays out and becomes more prevalent in our standardized testing, you know, as we head towards an all online standardized test, which is obviously the measurement for our, our standard of growth and progress uh, here at Springfield. Right, and you, I have a couple of points listening to you speak. One is, uh, as you said, think of how difficult it is for us as adults 
to focus and not click on everything that's available to us mm -hmm. online. So that's going to be multiplied at least 100 times when it comes to children to teach them how to focus when they're reading online. And um, the other point was uh, how teachers need to guide their students in understanding that when you do have those hyperlinks or alternate paths available to you when you're reading online, to think about, do I need to click on that to gain a better understanding, a better comprehension of the text that I'm reading. And if that's the case, then yes, go ahead and click on that hyperlink and go to that extra resource to increase your comprehension. So that wraps up the first part of our conversation about reading online. If you would like to hear more, tune in to the next few weeks so you can hear the rest of the conversation. Coming up next is our interview with Wesley Strong of Commerce. So earlier this year, I had the opportunity to go over to Commerce and interview Wesley Strong, a teacher over there who is highly embedded into all of the technology and that they are doing. In fact, he is their tech coordinator amongst the history classes he teaches and some of the other various responsibilities he has in the school. So go check out this interview and leave us some notes in, the comment, in our comment section or on Yammer about what you think. So uh, my name is uh, Wes Strong. Uh, we're at the High School of Commerce. I've been teaching here for four years, or this is my fourth year uh, teaching here. Before that, I worked as a substitute in uh, Hartford County, um, and I teach world history and social justice. So in your time of teaching, when you first started out, what kind of technology were you using, even as a substitute? Because I imagine being a substitute, especially in Hartford, there may have been opportunities, but... So uh, when I, before I was here, I was working as a substitute in Hartford, like I said. Uh, Hartford area, I worked with a company that contracted with multiple different schools. So this was um, the Crec schools, but also a few other like town districts too. Uh, so one of the towns that I worked for, for actually most of the last year that I uh, was a substitute was in Manchester, Connecticut, and they were a Chromebook school. So they had Google Apps for Education, right? Every student had a Chromebook and they'd take it home with them. Um, and at the end of their time, they actually had the opportunity to buy it if they wanted to. Uh, most of them, you know, didn't look so great after four years. But <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, that experience sort of showed me some of the digital tools or gave me some exposure to some of the digital tools that are out there and different ways of thinking and presenting uh, content to students that is beyond just like substituting the traditional content that we give them, right? Um, you know, different ways that students can collaborate digitally and also things that would allow students to develop the transferable skills that would work for really anything that they would be doing digitally in the future too. Um, when I started here, we didn't have any laptops that were really that available. Uh, this is right. Uh, so I've been here. This is my fourth year 
Uh, my first year here was the first year they started really getting uh, carts of laptops into schools uh, as we built up to be able to do one-to-one for, for all our students. Uh, so that first year, really just a few opportunities I had to use uh, technology in the classroom and like each year progressively after that, it's been a little bit more and more to the point where this year, uh, most like pretty much the entirety of all my classes are primarily digital um, when it comes to going through like students going through content you know we'll still have other things like class discussions and other things that are maybe more appropriate to not be digital in Mm -hmm. non-digital ways i guess is the way to say it right but um yeah most of that content is digital and for some of my students it's helped them because then now they have access to do some of the stuff at home they don't um have to worry about um losing papers or forgetting to turn something in and then losing it even if they finished it right uh, so some of the stuff that especially freshmen struggle with when they're starting to make that adjustment to high school in terms of self-organization, like management and tracking, it helps for many of those reasons or has helped. Uh, there's still like things at the margin that we're working on to improve as well. But yeah, so kind of going from having that sort of first experience as a substitute and then in my four years here, like just experiencing and using different tools, seeing what kind of works, what I like what works for my students, what works for instructional purposes to the point where this year I'm just like, and then all, I'm just like throwing it at them basically, hey, we're going to do it this way. And um, I'm going to learn everything that I didn't learn previously, mm-hmm. right, as part of that process too. To some extent, we're able to do this here because of, uh, we're in the empowerment zone too. So we have a little bit of wiggle room this year to try some things because uh, state really won't be looking at us uh, too much until the outcomes of our ninth grade from next year too. So this is kind of a test year for us too to maybe take a little bit more risks in what we're doing instructionally, um, but always you know reflecting and growing from from that. And there's you know I'll talk about a bit more about this setup in a moment. But even since starting this, I've learned a few things and tweaked things mm-hmm. even over the past few days to make it uh, more understandable for for students. So one of the things that as you were talking was coming to my mind is. With working with freshmen coming yeah. from middle school, how has how have their tech skills come into your classroom mm. or even into the school mm. with the position that you have this year? Like, are they coming in with strong skills or mm. is there a lot of skills that like you're seeing that like, oh, we need to have maybe like a freshman computer orientation course in quarter one or something where they kind of get like build up those skills so that you guys can pursue more blended learning, flipped classroom, whatever right. teachers want to do. So I, I think, so first off, it varies. Um, this is particularly the case with uh, Brightspace because uh, I think there are some schools that don't really use it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those students that come from those middle schools to us, they are also learning Brightspace. Um, so there's a few things at the start that, you know, create hurdles for some of those students, but. Uh, I also try to like design my course page in a way that uh, tries to be as intuitive as possible and as like, hey, you're going to see everything on that first section of the page uh, that you'll need as mm-hmm. possible, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. In terms of like the broader computer skills of students, I would sort of tie that with other academic skills too. I, I feel like there's like a varying degree in the students that we get. 
uh, when it comes to technology. I, I certainly think that students, freshmen, would benefit from more like explicit technology skill development, right? Uh, which could come through the form of a course, but... Uh, could also, you know, when a school like ours goes to one-to-one, um, which requires a lot of like back-end or front-end, I guess is what you'd say, right? Mm-hmm. Front-end like building and supports for uh, teachers to grow to be able to teach lessons using technology um, in much more substantive ways. That through the process of teachers going and teaching those lessons, the students would pick up these skills too. So, mm-hmm. and it's also like, um, it's also at a, at a point where it's like, uh, in the same way that we're teaching like regular literacy skills, we also will have a need to teach technology literacy like mm-hmm. skills and standards. Right. And I know the state like has some of these too. And that's one thing that we are exploring, right, in that I'm helping to explore as part of my role as tech coordinator here uh, with our tech team is planning professional development for our colleagues uh, to help them become better at using technology in the classroom and to expose them to all the different apps that are out there and what they can do, um, but also to push to have a more explicit tie-in of those technology skills, which are 21st century skills Mm -hmm. too, right? Especially things that are transferable. So if you can figure it out how to do it here, then you can go to some other tool that's similar and figure out how to do it there too, Um, which is a little bit, I guess, a little bit harder to kind of teach in a, in a sense, it's more of having to experience it uh, for uh, students to be able to pick it up. But, you know, we create those experiences, too. In the course of my four years, I feel like we're getting students each year that are a little bit more literate and comfortable with technology. But we still have some students who their only experience with technology is their smartphone. Right. <laughs> and that's a different interface. Right. It's very different interface than than like a computer or a laptop. And we got to prepare them in four years to go out the door to head to college where most colleges are using learning management systems these days. Right. right or most of their work is being done digitally. So they have to know how to use a keyboard, right? I mean, beyond that too, but right. we beyond have to the help them make that transition t- and typing. build it even, even, even um, develop it even further. One of the, when I came in, you were showing me your one of the things you're doing in your Brightspace course. As you can tell, this is a podcast, so you, our listeners can't see necessarily what right. you're doing. Yeah, so exactly. do you want to talk about like the whole process you took for setting yeah. up your course? So, um, so there's a couple of things really with this. And, uh, First, it really started with this idea of how can I digitize all the work that my students do in the classroom to the, so that work isn't getting lost, so that things can be saved and not lost uh, when students are doing things mm-hmm. digitally, because many of our students would like open Word on the desktop, save it to like the downloads folder in their student laptop that was not assigned to them. And like the next day or two, it'd be gone, right? Because that's the way the, the, the machines are set up, right? Um, so the thought was, how can I digitize all that work to make sure that it's all going to be saved and student, uh, students can even access it at home. So I started with setting up class folders through, uh, OneDrive, uh, and I ran a PD for our staff on this on November 7th, how to kind of, how I went about doing this, which is a little bit like wonky, I guess, at the <laughs> moment, because it, it's kind of, I have to use a few external apps and use the, the sync application. But the long and short of it is, right? So I have a, like a folder and that folder is a folder for all my classes. And then those class folders is a folder for each individual student. So in there and you, or using that setup and uh, a few other applications, I'm able to create like a digital document or task for students to do and distribute it straight into those student folders. And the sync application for OneDrive puts it up in the cloud, right? To all mm-hmm. those folders, which I've shared 
with each individual student so they have edit privileges and I have edit privileges so they can just go in and work and I can go in my OneDrive and I can check and it'll you know I can search for the file name and see who did it or didn't right you know um, so from there it was like and, and to be honest like this is something that I've been trying to do instructionally speaking even if it wasn't digital for a while because I, I think that there's a lot more value to the one-to-one conversations that we have with students when uh, learning is happening than the one to 25 conversations, right. right? And this is a great way to do that, where I can do a one to 25 conversation for five minutes to like introduce what is happening in that lesson. And then students can go and do it. And when they run into speed bumps, they can, you know, we can figure it out, right? Mm-hmm. Then all I did is set up using Brightspace and a number of a couple of different custom widgets, individual modules for each lesson with uh, tasks in them, uh, directions, files for each lesson, which is just, you know, what do you do for some of this stuff is when it's like a new application. I also include like, how do you sign up for it or connect it with your Office 365 account, and then just the various links to access the content. And with that, I also checked out this checklist tool in Brightspace, which allowed me to build for students a checklist of each individual task for the whole content section, which they can go and check off as they complete things so that they can then, you know, each morning when they load the class, they can see where they left off, right? So there's a little mm-hmm. bit of like even self-pacing to this. And I, you know, I haven't quite uh, figured out in the back end if there would be like an extra day or two to finish content from a, a unit mm-hmm. if like students get stuck. And I'm still a little bit like balancing the, the workload versus the time, I guess, is also something that like I'm still very much uh, learning a bit more about. And, you know, what is the appropriate amount of work to ask our students to do in the amount of time that we have with them, I guess, through doing it this way. I think it, for many of my students has allowed them to, to kind of see what they are doing, where it's going, right? Mm-hmm. And to like have a more clear visual presentation of their progress, which I, I think is something that a lot of students want, right? We always get those hey, mister, what's my grade questions? Right. And my response is, I can't memorize grades for 100 students, <laughs> right? Uh, so, and it also builds some of the skills, especially for freshmen that I think are really important. Um, the self-organizational skills, the accountability, like being accountable to, the, to themselves, that self-accountability, your sense of accountability um, in the process of learning, which I think, uh, you know, a lot of freshmen come in without, the ability to really do that. Mm-hmm. So any way that we can like root those skills that we want our freshmen to develop explicitly into the way that we are teaching, I think helps. So it's very much an experiment at this time, but yeah, I'm seeing some good outcomes from it uh, in my students, you know, particularly in their attitudes to the work that we're doing in the classroom. It makes a little bit more sense to them. The sequence makes more sense. Mm-hmm. It's more looking at like, we're gonna get to this thing way over here. But this is right. the scope of the work that we're doing to get there. Right. Right. So the path is, is a lot clearer. And I think that consistency mm-hmm. helps a lot, and particularly with freshmen. But I think it helps with all students, too. Yeah. And I'm thinking like you're a history teacher. And so for the students to, one, understand like why it's important to know how we got to where we are from where we came from, like being able to see that almost linear path that they're taking, yeah. like we're your end goal is this you're gonna see we're gonna do all these things and so like this to me is like a very well laid out path for the students to see and it'd be great to see other teachers doing this Mm. too or trying other things so with setting all this up what has you kind of alluded to it but what have been some of the challenges that Mm. you've come across 
So one of the challenges that came up the first day is that students weren't able to intuit or like quickly figure out how the items on the checklist connect with tasks in the lessons in the content modules. So all I did was add codes. So mm -hmm. each lesson is coded L something, lesson right. one, lesson two, lesson three, L1, L2, L3, right? And then the tasks themselves, T1, T2, right? right? So that it ties in explicitly with the checklist. What I didn't do in uh, this module, because these first five lessons were set up before I, I did the coding, was to also put those codes in the titles of each task. Mm -hmm. So like when I send them to do something over on OneDrive, to also have that code in the title of the task. Or when I send them over to Edpuzzle to do a right. video, right? To put the title of the, or the code for the task in the title of that video too. Mm -hmm. So as I'm building the next uh, cluster of lessons for this module, and there's about, uh, I think there's three more, uh, three or four more to build on that I'm doing that. Yeah. Right? Uh, some of the other challenges are, I mean, outside of the normal challenges of teaching freshmen, uh, <laughs> some of the like technical challenges are just learning different ways that we can um, use what we have to do what we need, I guess is the, is the way to say it. Right. right? So I've had to build a, a few custom widgets. I had to embed the checklist page as a custom widget to put it on the homepage. Um, and there's a few other things I'm experimenting with to try to get them on that landing page with the, the purpose being of using that course homepage as the clearinghouse for everything. They just go to the course homepage mm -hmm. and you know, don't have to, wouldn't have to go anywhere else into right. any of the other menus unless we're taking a quiz, but you know, they know how to do that. And then should they need anything, they just come back to the course homepage. Cause I, I feel like, or I know from the past when a student's asked to do a lot of navigation, they get lost and when they get lost, Many of our students stop, stop. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think making it and tying it a little bit more explicitly in one other piece that I'm trying to add to it, too, is uh, I'm looking at different ways to clearly show to them what their progress is so far. Um, so one of those is digital, which I'm working on building in and adding it as another custom widget to those classes. But I'm also thinking um, you know, of using some board space in my classroom to even if it's just like uh, to using some board space in my classroom to mm -hmm. show this also, even if it's just like listing this, like uh, basically having that digital checklist also somewhere on a board for mm -hmm. first students to reference to challenges beyond that. I mean, some of the stuff that would be challenging for others uh, that would maybe take up something like this are things that I've already solved. Um, like I use Edpuzzle a lot, which is a video site, mm -hmm. which if you have everybody, every student in a class listening to the same video at the same time, it's a little bit harebrained. Right. Uh, but I Almost headphones. like I got headphones. Right. So I got headphones, right? I got those a couple of years ago. So there's some, there's a, some, well, I mean, in doing something like this, there's a lot of front loading too. There's a lot of front loading mm -hmm. of content. So... Before I could even roll this out, I had to build five lessons of content that's digital. Um, and with the explicit uh, desire to tie in as many t uh, different learning tools to that, mm -hmm. too. So it's not like doing the same thing every day, right? but just the content changing. And that's to, I guess that's a challenge, too. So mm -hmm. still, I'm still looking for a few more tools to kind of diversify the uh I guess the different functional tasks that students would be doing as mm -hmm. through their learning process. So I use a few now, uh, Edpuzzle, Actively Learn, OneDrive, uh, and then just like uh, different websites and stuff that have just content for students mm -hmm. to informational text and stuff like that. 
for them to like do Cornell notes on. And then uh, there's a few things that I've traditionally done on paper that it's like figuring out, well, how do we do this digitally? It'd be a little bit different in a sense right. too. You know, I think it's uh, it, it takes some time to front load, but uh, you know, I certainly have learned from it too. Well, I would love to sit here and talk more with you, but as I'm looking at down at the <laughs> clock here, we've talked for a while and we're running out of time because as our listeners know we do a lot of our interviews during the day, and so you have probably a class to go teach soon or in about uh, 20-ish minutes. So, and I want to give you time to prepare for that. So, any parting words for our listeners? Well, hey, uh, I think um, there's a lot of wonderful things that we can do with technology. Uh, I think it takes a willingness to kind of take risks with some things, um, to push our use of technology beyond just replacing us. Right. So there's this uh, the studies that have come out about will automation replace you? Teachers are on the very extremely unlikely end of that. I guess my point is that using technology in ways in our classrooms that is dramatically different than what we would be doing in a traditional tech, uh, classroom without technology. That hey, that requires, like I said, it requires some risk taking. It also requires some learning from each other too. I think for our students as we're looking to the future, they're going to need a lot of they're going to need to be really dynamic, right, uh, and adaptive. Mm-hmm. So we need to also be dynamic and adaptive in how we provide learning experiences to them as well. I think technology is a great way to do that. And for us to explicitly build in those tasks and experiences that will develop those transferable skills that our students could use regardless of where they go. Again, this has been a great interview. I'm sure we'll get back and do more interviews as the years go on. But I just want to thank you again for your time. Yeah, yeah. So guys, I'm glad that I got a chance to go over to Commerce. I know we don't get to go out to the high schools as much. We tend to have a lot of um, elementary teachers that we interview. And so it was really great to meet him and talk with him about different technology tools that he's using in the classroom. And one of the things that he did talk about during his time that he actually was showing me was just his use of Brightspace. As I was watching, like listening to him talk and like watching what he was clicking through and showing me, like is a very effective user of, a, of our learning management system, which is awesome to hear and see. Well, I think that's probably uh, based on the time that he put into it, Mike. The one thing that impressed me with his interview was when he talked about uh, building out his lesson plans before putting them on Brightspace. He really put in a lot of thought as to what he wanted to include in that course. And then once he got it all set, he loaded it into Brightspace. And it's something that everyone needs to do I know time is precious, but um, it's worth it in the end. And you can see how Wesley is taking lesson planning to the 21st century with developing this pacing model within Brightspace by creating his, his lessons built out through content. So it is, it's, it's nice to see that's kind of the trend in education. It's not so much lesson plans written down and enacted um, you know, on the whiteboard every day. It's, it's turning into students come in and they have a release condition that unlocks a content block, that unlocks an activity, that unlocks, uh, you know, uh, some kind of assessment or benchmarking uh, quiz. And, and it's good to see that Leslie's uh, spearheading that effort. It certainly must be making his life easier. 
And I know like one of the things with his responsibilities at um, Commerce is he does a lot of trainings with teachers. And to me, like he's really taken on like this We Learn initiative and kind of being like the spear at the school, like pushing it forward, which is great to see. And it's it's something that we're, you know, we see throughout the district, but it's especially great to see at the secondary level, especially with, you know, the the students, and we talked about in our previous discussions, students growing up and at that age currently are, are current secondary learners may not have been brought up with the one-to-one that we currently have now. So the digital literacy capabilities that we're able to provide to our students now at a younger age weren't there. Remarkably, that just shows how fast it all changes for the kids who are in commerce right now. So it's great to see that Wesley's you know, kind of taking the bull by the horns here acknowledging that and doing what he can to bring his staff on board to make sure that everybody's uh, on the same page. Right. And I think the key words that he used, Brendan, were dynamic and adaptive, that not only the students need to be dynamic and adaptive, but the teachers need to be as well. Well, I think we find that, especially within the workforce of the 21st century learner, right? I mean, two of the words that you, you hear the most from employers are dynamic and adaptive, right? You have to be adaptive in the 21st century. So, Wesley really gets it, and it's great to see that. I was also impressed by his use of checklists because that was one of the first tools that I got to to see in Brightspace that I could uh, visualize in a classroom, and he made very good use of it. So I just want to again thank you guys today for listening to us. If you want to leave us feedback or you have questions, the best place to do is actually out on Yammer. If you've not logged into Yammer, it's an Office 365 app. We have our own page, SPS Digital Learning Hour. It's a great place to leave us messages. You can always email us, DLA support at springfieldpublicschools.com. That's it for today. I'm Mike Thomas. I'm Suzanne Zargis. And I'm Brendan Reed. And we'll see you next week.